Ruth 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that, th that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz a relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, he will redeem you. Let him do it. If he will redeem you, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it. And he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until so you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Sorry. Good morning. Peace be with you. My name is Paul Ramsey. I am one of the pastors here at Sojourn, and it's a joy to be with you, an honor to be preaching God's word to us this morning from the book of Ruth. Uh, we are, like Brandon said, like you heard read, going through the book of Ruth, uh, uh, which is a book about a bride and her redeemer, and about the bride and the redeemer. Ruth is this little book from early in the Old Testament uh, that emerges from scripture as a proclamation of the gospel. Uh, and what that means is that God enters in uh, to the story of the world, uh, into a world filled with uh, emptiness, 
sorrow and death and through a redeemer brings fullness, joy and life. It's a story that talks about redeeming the past and moving God's plan of redemption forward. And today we're in chapter three uh, of the book of Ruth. To catch us up just a little bit in chapter one, we looked at the need for redemption. Uh, We were introduced to Naomi and her daughter-in-law Ruth, uh, these two women who were widowed, childless and hungry who turned towards Bethlehem where redemption was to be found. In chapter two, we looked at the search for redemption last week. We were introduced to Boaz, a man who received Ruth, who was searching for food and a home uh, with generous provision. And today, as we look at Ruth chapter three, uh, for a few minutes this morning, we're looking at the promise of redemption. And as we jump in, you might remember that over the past couple of weeks, Brandon uh, and Drew introduced, introduced us to the concept of leveret marriage. And so if you missed that, I wanna just define leveret marriage for you very briefly. The word leveret comes from the Latin word lever, which means brother-in-law or my husband's brother. And leveret marriage is warranted when a woman is widowed and her late husband's brother or other close relative steps in to marry her in order to provide her with a home and with an heir so that his brother's name, in addition to the land and the inheritance that come along with that, will endure. In this way, the leveret is a kinsman redeemer. He's a close relative uh, that steps in to redeem a widow out of the precarious position in which she found herself, which would have been especially precarious um, in the ancient world. And as we've seen in chapters one and two, both Ruth and Naomi, her mother-in-law, were widowed in a foreign land and they've traveled back to Bethlehem in Israel, to the land of Naomi's family in search of redemption. And so when Naomi opens in chapter three, verse one with, shall I not seek rest for you that it may be well for you, uh, using phrases that appear elsewhere in the Bible to talk about a husband and children, Uh, And then from there, she points to verse two, as Boaz, our relative, uh, the the ancient reader of the book of Ruth knows exactly what is going on here. We're talking about leveret marriage. So here's my plan for this morning. Uh, First, I want to just enjoy the story for a few minutes. There's a lot of details in this story that might be a little bit difficult for us to understand and jump into as 21st century American Christians. Uh, Second, I want to pull out a couple of themes that run through this story. And then third, I want to end briefly with the invitation that I believe God is giving us through Ruth chapter three uh, as a church today. And so let's begin with the story that we're told. The beginning scene here is Naomi giving Ruth specific instructions on how to approach Boaz. So what is the plan? Looking at verse two, the premise of Naomi's plan is twofold. First, Boaz is a close enough relative to be a redeemer. Uh, Second, Boaz will be winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. And the significance of that detail is that this tells us what time of year it was. This was the time of year uh, uh, that would have been marked by celebration. Winnowing is the process of removing the husk from the grain. And it took place at the end of harvest time as the kind of the last stage in harvest. And so it would have been a time of celebration of Thanksgiving for this bountiful harvest. There would have been a party. Um, At the end of the evening, Boaz would have been mellow, smiling, looking at the stars in the words of one commentator, savoring the quiet euphoria of the good life. In Houston today, it would have been like closing a mutually beneficial deal and then going out to celebrate afterwards. So verse three, Ruth, or excuse me, Naomi sees the opportunity and she tells Ruth, wash therefore and anoint yourself, put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. Naomi tells Ruth to take a bath, to put on some perfume and get dressed up. She's to make herself attractive like a betrothed woman who's eligible to be married and then approach Boaz. 
Continuing in verse three, Naomi says, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. So Ruth is to watch from a distance. And then once Boaz falls asleep, verse four, she is to uncover his feet and then lie down. And this is a little bit of an interesting image for us. This would have been a visible demonstration of humility, of her submission to Boaz uh, that would have clearly demonstrated to him her desire to marry. Also, uh, there is some unmistakable innuendo in those words, which stands truthfully in stark contrast with what we know about both of these main characters. Boaz, this worthy man. Ruth, this worthy woman. And so this has us as readers kind of leaning in what on earth is about to happen. And so we read on. According to Naomi, Boaz would take things from there. Verse four, he will tell you what to do. Verse five, Ruth replies, all that you say, I will do. So Naomi gives Ruth this clear plan, which is both noble, uh, seeking to fulfill the Leveret law, and bold. Uh, This is quite the scheme. Naomi was not interested in leaving very much to chance. So let's read on. Verse six. So Ruth went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. So here we are on the threshing floor. And in verse seven, we see that Boaz is indeed in good spirits as Naomi had uh, expected. To make a quick clarification though, while there's certainly innuendo in parts of the story, there is no indication here that Naomi would have thought of Boaz as having uh, consumed too much wine. Uh, Boaz's, uh, the integrity of Boaz's response to Ruth later also attests to this fact. Instead, Boaz would have simply been in a pleasant state of mind and perhaps more likely to respond favorably to a tall ask, which is what he was about to receive. And so Boaz falls asleep, verse seven, and sometime later, Ruth comes in softly, although you can kind of hear in the story her heart beating through her chest. She comes in to uncover his feet and lie down. In the words of one commentator, the audience probably squirmed with both fear and excitement. Ruth had executed Naomi's plan and the decisive moment was at hand. Sure enough, in the middle of the night, Boaz wakes up startled. Who is this woman? at my feet. And we can probably imagine that for this honorable Israelite to be in the position that Boaz was in here would have caused at least a brief moment of stunned silence. Is he going to be angry? Is he going to be delighted? Embarrassed? So Boaz asks her who she is and she responds, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. This is a statement that's packed with meaning. Just two things for right now. First, when Ruth says, spread your wings over your servant, she's using a term that also refers to the corners of Boaz's cloak. Uh, In effect, asking him to spread his cloak over her in order to claim her as his in marriage in a way that symbolized being found in his protection and under his care. But also she borrows a biblical term for the Lord protecting his people beneath his wings that Boaz had actually used with Ruth the day before. In chapter two, verse 12, we're told that when Ruth had been gleaning in Boaz's field, Boaz approaches her, they have this conversation. And in that conversation, Boaz says, chapter two, verse 12, the Lord repay you for what you've done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And so in using this phrase, Ruth is inviting Boaz to be the answer to his own prayer. She's asking Boaz, to embody the character of the Lord as redeemer, uh, to redeem her and through her, Naomi's family line through marriage. And the question is, how is Boaz going to respond? As we read on, we see that far from being offended or taken aback, 
by this bold proposal, Boaz is actually quite pleased. He says, you have outdone yourself. Verse 10, this last kindness is greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. Here's what Boaz is talking about. Ruth would not have been legally bound to this arrangement. She would have been free to marry for love or money, but instead she chose the way of loyalty. Claiming Boaz as redeemer is a great act of faithfulness. Ruth is not just seeking shelter for herself, she's also seeking the redemption of Naomi. And so the first kindness that Boaz refers to is Ruth's decision to leave her homeland and cling to Naomi, coming to Bethlehem with her. That first kindness is the reason that all of Boaz's fellow townsmen in verse 11 know that Ruth is a worthy woman, which is the same word, uh, same term for, for excellent wife from Proverbs 31, which we discussed a couple of weeks ago. So that alone rendered Ruth quite admirable. This last kindness is Ruth's decision to act once again in admirable faithfulness to Naomi through choosing leveret marriage to Boaz. And this time, this kindness is even greater than the first. On account of this, Boaz says, may you be blessed by the Lord. The Lord see your faithfulness and repay you in kind. And notice the gentleness of Boaz in his response to Ruth. Verse 11, he says, now my daughter, do not fear. I will do all that you have asked. Here is a woman who has put everything on the line repeatedly, especially in this very moment. And Boaz reassures her. He says, don't be afraid. Redemption is coming. And at this point, tension has been relieved. Boaz responds well to this bold proposal. And we're sitting here as the reader rooting for Ruth and Boaz. But the tension isn't relieved for very long. There's this surprising contingency that comes up. Verse 12. And now it's true that I'm a redeemer, Boaz says, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So there's this other other man who's a closer relation uh, uh, to Naomi than Boaz, which means that according to the Leveret law, he had the legal right to claim the redemption of Ruth first. This probably explained why Boaz didn't propose this arrangement first and why Ruth was coming and asking this question of Boaz. So here again, we see Boaz's faithfulness. There will be no underhandedness on his part. There will be no future doubt in Israel about Ruth's legal claims in Israel, as likely would have been the case if they had tried to circumvent the Leveret law uh, through some scheme. And from this point forward, all the innuendo disappears. The word in verse 13, remain tonight, is a word that means to lodge with and has no undertones. And so finally, when they wake up in the morning, Boaz instructs her to bring the cloak that she's wearing so he can load in it a considerable amount of grain so that she doesn't return home empty-handed. And she returns home to Naomi. So Ruth, who had arrived in Bethlehem with no food, no home, no husband, no children, had been fed and sheltered and was now returning to her, mother, her mother-in-law with a promise from a kinsman redeemer and the generous gift of being laden down with seed. It's this beautiful picture that not only uh, has their famine ended, but childlessness will be ended as well. There is an heir coming. And when Naomi asks how things went, I'm sure Ruth was positively glowing. She says, look what he gave to me. And Naomi, likely also breathing a sigh of relief, tells Ruth to simply wait one way or another, whether Boaz 
uh, or this other closer redeemer will do it, the matter will be settled and they will be redeemed. And so as the farmer waits after planting seed, Ruth waits for the harvest of her efforts. Now, what can we make of this chapter in the story? For one, in the picture of leveret marriage, we get this beautiful picture of God's heart for the lost, the needy, the forgotten. We see God's desire to care for the vulnerable. And in this particular way, uh, uh, we see that redemption of an Israelite woman, Naomi, comes through the redemptive inclusion of a foreigner, Ruth from Moab. And so we see God's heart not just for Israel, but also his heart for the vulnerable among the nations. There's more though. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Drew brought up a key story that informs the background of the whole book of Ruth and particularly chapter three. It comes from Genesis chapter 38. It tells the story of Judah. Judah was one of the 12 sons of Jacob who received the promise that from his line, the tribe of Judah, the king of Israel would come. Shortly after receiving this promise, though, Judah refused to fulfill the Leveret law. His firstborn son, Ur, had married a foreign woman, a Gentile woman named Tamar, and Ur died before Tamar had any children, leaving her childless and husbandless. Judah and his sons refused to fill the role of kinsman redeemer, and so she was abandoned by the men who were charged with her protection and provision. So Tamar devised a plan of her own. And in the middle of the night, after Judah had been drinking, she went in disguise and tricked Judah into giving her a child. Her plan worked. And when Judah's sin is discovered, he eventually acknowledges Tamar as more righteous than he. From this point though, Judah's line is buried in shame. According to the law, no king could come for 10 more generations. The book of Ruth picks up this story and transforms it. Like Tamar, Ruth is a Gentile woman, a non-Jewish woman. Like Tamar, Ruth is a widow, and she is seeking a faithful member of her husband's family to provide and protect, to step in to redeem. Like Tamar, Ruth approaches her redeemer in the night after he had been eating and drinking. So at this point in the story, there are big questions. What is Boaz going to do? Is he gonna take advantage of this beautiful anointed woman and then abandon her? Is Ruth going to be forced to resort to trickery like Tamar? Beneath even the innuendo, however, the big question is this. Will Boaz do it? Will he step in to redeem? You see, this story is a story about two women who have lost their husbands and who have returned to Bethlehem in search of a redeemer. But it's also a story about how God was bringing about the redemption of an entire family line, the family through which the king of Israel would one day come. As we'll see in chapter four next week, Boaz is the seventh generation from Judah. So here on the threshing floor, in the middle of the night, generations of history look in with anticipation, waiting to see what Boaz will do. Will he do it? Will he faithfully step in and take the role of kinsman redeemer? And yes, he does. Gently, kindly, honorably, joyfully, now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do all that you have asked. Where Judah failed, Boaz stepped in and said, yes, I will redeem. I will pay the price. I don't know exactly how this will work out yet, but I give you my word that if I'm given the opportunity, I will redeem you. And you know what struck me most in this passage as I was studying to preach this morning? What struck me most in this passage was how costly this offer was for Boaz to make. 
and yet how ready and willing he was to pay the cost without missing a beat. You see, fulfilling the Leveret Law was a costly commitment. Not only did you immediately take the care of a new wife, but you assumed all of the debts and responsibilities of the land of your late brother. Furthermore, the firstborn son would not technically be yours. He would be your late, late brother's son. And so for your labors, you wouldn't even get the credit. And in this particular situation, the reason Naomi and her husband and sons had gone to a foreign land was due to a famine in the land. And so, so they have likely left behind considerable debts to resolve upon their return. And Boaz, without missing a beat, responds immediately to her request. Fear not, my daughter, I will do all that you ask. Generations ago, Judah had ignored the Leveret law, avoiding his responsibility to meet Tamar in her need. As we're going to see next week in chapter four, there's a closer kinsman redeemer who likewise avoids his responsibility to meet Ruth in her need. But Boaz steps in and provides for her abundantly. Not only is he content to materially provide for her far more than she would have expected in chapter two, But here, without skipping a beat, Boaz invites Ruth into his very family and life at great cost to himself. Here's a man who knows God, who knows that his life and wealth was given for a purpose far greater than himself, who uses his authority and wealth not to exploit or take advantage of others, but to serve others. And if you remember, Boaz was pleased at every point along the way to do so. He's not just a man who meets this obligation out of a sense of reluctant duty, but a man who is delighted to extend this gracious generosity. And of course, this beautiful story transcends the line of Boaz and his family. And through the story of the redemption of the tribe of Judah, the family from which the king of Israel would come, it points us to the true faithful Israelite, Jesus Christ, the son of God himself, who would come down through this redeemed line to pay the highest cost imaginable, his very life itself in order to redeem for himself his bride, not just to meet our needs from a distance, but to welcome us into the very family of God as sons of daughters in his household. Out of love for Ruth and Naomi, God moved in history through this worthy man, Boaz, to redeem them. Out of love for the world, God moved in history by sending his son into the world as a man worthy above all other men, this greater Boaz to redeem those who would come to him not with their best efforts to clean themselves up, but simply in their needfulness. And he was delighted to do so. In Hebrews chapter 12, we're told that it was for the joy that was set before him that Jesus took the cross, incurring the high cost of our redemption through his death so that we would no longer taste hunger, abandonment, and death, but but fullness and love and life forevermore. Do you see this sojourn? Boaz in this story isn't holding his nose as he does this. He is delighted to act with costly faithfulness. Likewise, Jesus wasn't holding his nose as he went to the cross. He isn't holding his nose right now as he looks at you, as he looks at me, as he looks at his church, extending grace out of reluctant duty. No, Jesus is delighted to invite us into his home, into his family, into his very heart. Listen, you might know that Christ died and rose again to cleanse you of your sins, but do you know how much he loves you? How much it delighted him to do so? We are not Ruth, having cleaned ourselves up to make ourselves enticing to Jesus. It's in our moment of deepest need 
when the stench of our sin is so bad that Jesus looks at us heartbroken for our lostness and our need and says, fear not child, you are worthy. I have redeemed you. As one commentator put it, this is a story about what God does for you, not about what you do for God. God and his generosity has brought, in, brought us into his family and has given us an inheritance that is nothing short of all things in order to make us fruitful and generous in return. As the apostle John wrote in 1 John chapter four, we love because he first loved us. It is knowing the love of God for us and the generous, eternal, infinite gift that we have been given that makes us into the kind of hospitable people that we so want to be in our neighborhood, in our city, in our world. As Boaz welcomed Ruth at great cost to himself, likely without even knowing the full cost that he was about to be on the hook for, you and I have been loved in such a way that we can give without fear of losing too much because we have it all. We can live lives that are interruptible like Boaz's because what is most important is not our own lives and our own prosperity, but the family business of welcoming in people in need into the life we have been given together in Christ. And there's plenty of room at this table. We can live lives of prayer for those in need and then act to be the answer for those very prayers in the lives of those around us. And the question here is this, are we ready for this? Are we ready to live lives that involve costly sacrifice for the sake of others? You know, it's not costly. What's not costly is surrounding yourself with comfortable people, people just like you who think like you, who talk about the things that you wanna talk about, who think similarly to you about the world, people who can pay for their own lunch when you go out with them, people who can relate to your struggles at work, in your home, with your kids. That's not very costly. You know it is costly. It's welcoming in someone who's none of those things. You know who the world is filled with? People who don't check off very many of those things for you. You probably wave to them every day when you pull it back into your driveway. You probably walk right past them in the grocery store, sit next to them in the coffee shop, serve them, sit next to them at work. They might be in your own family. In the war, into a world filled with people of need, people in need of food, people in need of home and the love of God, may we be this kind of people. Maybe you already are, or maybe you're a little bit like me and you need this reminder from the book of Ruth of the real invitation of Jesus. The minimum bar, one commentator said, the minimum bar to be enfolded into the embrace of Jesus is simply open yourself up to him. It's all he needs. Indeed, it is the only thing he works with. Like Ruth, come to your redeemer. This is not just for those who are on the fence about this whole faith thing. This is also for you who have been members here for a very long time. Open yourself up to him. Ask him to write this gospel of redemption once again fresh in your heart. Ask him to meet you in the middle of your life right now and show you his heart for you today. Not the you who professed faith once upon a time. Not, not you when you do great things for you, for, for him, but you as you woke up this morning. You as you wake up every morning, all of you. You do not need to unburden yourself before coming to Jesus. Ruth came to Boaz knowing full well I need everything. Food, Drink, home, debts paid, an heir for my husband. And it is precisely those who know their need to whom Jesus looks and says, come to me and I will give you rest. You might not know what things are gonna look like 
Ruth was left waiting, eager to watch how the matter would be worked out. But come, trust in him, and may we watch as he fills us and sends us with this gospel of redemption, empowered and overjoyed to extend his welcome to all of our neighbors. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the book of Ruth and this picture of the gospel that we have been given in it. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for meeting us in this moment through your word. I pray that you would weave the truth of the gospel afresh into our hearts this morning. Show us your love for us so that we may take that and in turn love others truly. Not demanding anything of them, not requiring anything of them in return, but truly loving as an outpouring of your love for us. Help make us into a kind of people who make costly promises without regard to the cost because we know that our bank accounts are full and always will be. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Please do this in Jesus' name. Amen.